0: Welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with me, Hattie Butterworth. I am a cellist and writer recently graduated from the Royal College of Music in London. I'm on a journey to change the way musicians see vulnerability. In the classical music profession, it can often feel very difficult to talk about issues that affect us personally, such as mental health, injury, financial issues, race, gender and class, to name but a few. I believe that through connecting with other musicians about these issues, we can bring humanity into our music, understanding how ultimately the darkness we face makes us who we are, and that we are not alone. Join me and guests as we have honest conversations about the things musicians don't talk about. Hello everybody, welcome back another episode and ah it's going really well I hope you're all doing really well I'm just feeling better now that we're in February because I was really missing Christmas the whole through January I just didn't want it I wanted to keep celebrating something because it felt like if I stopped celebrating then there was nothing else (laughs) Um, but I feel like everything is a bit more settled now I hope you're all doing well and that you're keeping mentally and physically as well as you can I don't want to talk too much because this week's episode is very. explains a lot. It <laughs> doesn't really need an introduction, but today I'm talking to my great friend, the soprano Nikita Bazil, who is currently studying her master's degree at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London. Nikita and I are going to talk basically about both of our struggles with OCD. Um, We both suffer with obsessive compulsive disorder and both have the subtype which has been coined pure OCD which basically means that the obsessions you have, um, well your issues are purely obsessional so you don't have physical outward compulsions like perhaps people would to suffer with OCD related to hand washing or any kind of Um, tapping or compulsions that are sort of physical and tangible. With pure OCD the, the compulsions tend to be mental but not always. Anyway we're going to talk about this and Nikita's story with her mental health is absolutely amazing. The way in which she can talk about her experiences with so much just wisdom and knowledge and just she's been to some really difficult places and has come back from them with so much to share and I think it's so important that we have this conversation with somebody who has been in the real depths of darkness and knows what that feels like and can then bring that and turn it into something wonderful with her music and with her advocacy. So it just suffice it to say Um, This episode we will be talking briefly about, um, we're going to talk about self-harm very briefly and we'll also talk about suicidal thoughts and uh, anything else, overdosing, Um, but they're very minimally mentioned and we don't go into great details about any of these issues but just be aware that that is going to come up. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and a huge thanks already to Nikita for such a great conversation and yes, thank you so much. Welcome Nikita to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm all right. You've caught me on a
1: good day to do this, which is great. So we can have some open conversation about mental health.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think it's... um, What's her name? Bryony Gordon. Have you heard of her? No, I haven't She's actually. She's like a journalist for The Telegraph and she has a podcast called Mad World. And at the start of that, she asks all her guests like, how are you really? So it's like, Nikita, how are you really doing today? I know because everyone
1: responds, you know, when, when people ask, everyone's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. And they're, you know, they're like, no, really. I don't want
0: to get no. into it right now. <laughs> yes. But I thought maybe we could start by um, talking about, like, how we met.
1: Ah, oh, yes. It's a, it's a very a good moment. story. It is. It's a story to tell the grandchildren, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it literally is. It's like, it's one of those things that we keep saying to each other, like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it happened like that. Like, I know. Well, back in, when, when was it actually? Was it July. Yeah. Yeah, I was like going through quite a hard time, and my therapist was out of town. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) For three weeks. And in that three weeks, it just so happened that things weren't going so well. So I was like, oh, I should like look and see if there are any like OCD groups out and about. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: And I came across this OCD group run by OCD UK. It was kind of interesting because we each went round and sort of spoke about our experience with OCD and then the second half of it is you talk about um, a a topic and I think the topic of the day was like hopes and dreams I I kind of piped up and I was like I'm a classical cellist and like my hopes and dreams sometimes feel like they're going to be thrashed yeah (laughs) i totally related (laughs) and then you, you related you were like oh my goodness get me on there so she private messaged me being like I cannot believe this I'm a, I'm a classical musician too I'm a singer and I was like oh my goodness what and then we exchanged numbers and then kind of chatted since then oh it was amazing actually because it, it, you know what you
1: were saying related to me so much because mm. um you were talking about um you know how how your mental health really affects whether you want to be a musician or whether this is an avenue yeah. you want to pursue And the fact you said you're a classical musician as well, and I remember thinking, I've got to message her now. (laughs) Um, Because I felt I was in completely the same space. I mean, this was, I think, a couple of months before my final. And I just, I think, you know, understandably with the pandemic and everything, uh, when you're in isolation, things can really, your mind can play all sorts of games. Mm -hmm. And I just wasn't motivated to sing or anything. And my question of, if I wanted to carry on with this, you know, it really resonated with me what you said. And then, yeah, yeah, that's how it started really, wasn't it? And um,
0: Yeah, and I think what has been and was so kind of amazing for me is to meet someone like, to have that peer support. You know, you can talk to your therapist and you can talk to your friends, but to have a musician who also suffers with the same disorder that I do, you know, that's mm -hmm. been the most valuable part I think of our friendship as well is like that that kind of broke down a lot of barriers that you might have before do you know what i mean cuz it's like we have that in common so it's like you know that the other person's going to understand so you can go a bit deeper because it's not you're not always worrying that they won't understand that you know they will so it's been like i've really valued your support and you're sort of further <laughs> along the road in your journey and you're all a bit older than me and your recovery is kind of on a later stage so at the same time it was sort of really great to have all of your advice and like support with decisions I was making in my recovery about medication and and everything so
1: yes that was a big one for you wasn't it yeah the the medication I remember saying to you because I know that prior to you starting to take medication you said to me that you had a really bad experience with it and a lot of people do um I mean it took me really a while to find the right medication for me and the right combination of medication as well and I think I remember saying to you that um it's not going to cure you medication won't cure you it's just a way that you can get to a therapeutic level um that you are able to then work on the things that you struggle with um yeah but um
0: I think it was just like You have such a great personality I was like oh this person takes medication so they can't be all like jobs. I love that that's That's very sweet of you thank you it's true but I sort of thought now we've uh, cleared the air (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: now we know
0: (laughs) it's like people are probably wondering so many things about you Nikita so end our suffering and can you let us know a bit about your musical background first of all and you know, of course, what are you up to in your life? Um, How's it all? How did it all start? And um, yeah, just give us an overview. I shall. Um, it
1: was uh, when I, I mean, I started piano actually before I sang. Um, and funnily enough, I, I have a language disorder, which basically means that it's it, it's a learning difficulty. So I couldn't speak at the age of five, and I found it difficult to read, and I needed um you know a singular therapy for that so when I started piano I actually started learning it from ear um, I couldn't read music but then over time you know I learned how to sight read so obviously music was something that I loved to do and then I think it was when I was 11 and it was in primary school and um we we had this play we were doing Romeo and Juliet as we all know and um (laughs) I was blessed to be cast as Juliet (laughs) highlight of my life Um, right you're like the kid that everyone hated (laughs) right (laughs) um and we actually had to sing a few songs um it was the first time I properly sang oh the songs were hilarious there was one about oh um you know about Romeo you are so like totally fantastical or something like that something cheesy anyway <laughs> and I sang it and um my parents you know watched me and they thought you know what she seems to be kind of all right at singing she seems to enjoy it so let's give her some lessons and that's kind of where it started really um I had the same teacher throughout all of my secondary school um called Erin and Hanlon highly recommend um <laughs> she was great um yeah and then, um I also played clarinet as well um so yeah, music was really my life, and then in secondary school, I did a lot of choir things, and I had a lot of opportunities and festivals, so it was it was great. I was very, very blessed and um and then, I think the natural course kind of took its place where I thought, you know what, I want to carry on singing, and I applied for Guildhall and miraculously got in and um <laughs> And then it all started from there when I was 18. And um, mm. it's been
0: quite the journey <laughs> since then. And you've just graduated
1: now. I have. Legit. After seven
0: years, I
1: have graduated, people.
0: <laughs> so we need to talk about those seven years, the <laughs> I think we do. Because that was a lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we kind of spoiled it for everyone by saying that we were both in an OCD group. Um, Yes. But, you know, what people might not... I mean, I've had a go at trying to raise awareness for the fact that OCD is is more than washing your hands. And being tidy, neither of which I'm particularly good at. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we know that, you know, I've tried to make it clear that there is a big spectrum of what it means for people. But can you talk about your own experience with um, OCD and mental health in general and, like... your your journey yeah totally um it actually
1: started when I was 13 and I'd probably say 13 was one of the worst years I I ever had and it was um I suddenly had two very wacky thoughts um one of them I was petrified I'd be raped and the other one was I was scared I was a criminal and um at the time you know when you're 13 you just don't understand why Um, these thoughts keep popping up in your head and I remember you know I even confessed to my parents at one point you know I I think I may be a criminal you know and they we just didn't have the knowledge or the awareness or the understanding of the time at the time sorry of what that was and this was this carried on for a year and you know I did things like incessantly research online and Mm. seek reassurance and anyway and we decided to we didn't really decide we just kind of brushed it under the carpet because we just really didn't understand what it was and I guess throughout all my secondary school years it's you know I I always struggled with my confidence and with thinking I always thought I was this bad person whatever and then when I was 18 and I went to Guildhall that's all kind of when everything sort of came to the forefront um But at the time, I still didn't know I had OCD, um, which is very interesting. And I think people need to understand that, that it's very complex and it can take a very long time to find out. And I remember um, I had to leave halfway through my first year because I ended up self-harming. I chopped all my hair off. You know, I was just very unwell. And at the time, I was diagnosed with depression and I was put on some antidepressants you know then I had some talking therapy after that and I thought things were getting better and then I came back and I redid my first year and I think even in the freshers of that first year I self-harmed again and I didn't really like I knew I was depressed I knew that something was going on but I just always felt like a terrible person I managed to just about get through my first year um and then I did my second year and again, just managed to get through my second year. And then that was it. I think I reached breaking point. Um, I went to um, a hospital for three weeks um, called the Priory, um, which was uh, a lifesaver. It really was a lifesaver at that moment in time. I got to receive some good therapy and some support. And But bearing in mind as well, this was for anxiety, depression. We had no idea there was something else at play. And um, I took two years out. Did you? Mm, Sorry, sorry.
0: Did you elect to go into the hospital that first time? It was like a decision you made.
1: It was actually a decision my mother and my father made because I remember it really clearly. I was (laughs) such a cheery movie. I was watching Silence of the Lambs or something. (laughs) (laughs) I was. was And they were like, "Wow, she needs to go. (laughs) Wow, she needs therapy." Um, And um, no, I remember, you know, I was watching a movie at the time and but weeks prior to them deciding that I was progressively becoming more and more depressed and I became suicidal where I just I didn't really want to live. And then my mum, I remember very clearly, she made a phone call um, to talk to my psychiatrist and they were like, right, you need to go to hospital. So I I did. And it really was a lifesaver at that Mm -hmm. point. And then I took two years out from Guildhall. I actually only intended to take one year out, but at the end of my first year out, I hadn't really sung. Um, I was working in Pizza Express, and I just... I think I kind of lost my path, and I hadn't really sung, and I remember singing to a teacher, and I just I just wasn't ready, uh, mentally, nor singing-wise. So I decided to take another year. And then... Um, it just got progressively worse. It was just, it was this continuous vicious cycle. Even though I was having therapy and I was on some meds, it was just always something that kept coming back, this feeling of depression and this self-hate. And um, I ended up, it got so bad, I actually ended up overdosing. um, I think about four to five months just before I started all again. Now I'd say that was probably one of the darkest times. Um, And so I overdosed and then I remember my father said very poignantly um, something needs to give now because you've really now hit the worst that you possibly can Mm. that was actually it was a bit of a kick up the bum really um, because I realised there was no breathing space now I mean this was it you know so I emailed my head of department and I said would I be able to have another year intermission is that a possibility and he said unfortunately not because you've already used up all your intermission years as you possibly could and we already gave you an exception of an extra year because of your health so that was it I then decided I really want to give Guildhall another shot yeah. so I, I had a new teacher and I trained intensely for four to five months before my re-audition and then miraculously I got in and I went back and actually that was then the beginning of finding out about my OCD and what was really going on. I think what happened was I talked to my psychiatrist and I said, look, something, um is this like a personality disorder is is there a disorder of some sort? Because something just keeps recurring and I can't quite put my finger on it. And um he said I think there is something else at play. And then I got referred to this psychologist um who has been a godsend I've been with her for two years and about a year or so ago into my therapy with her you know I said to her is there a name for this you know and when I say is there a name for this what I'm talking about is I've always had this innate belief this innate feeling that I am a bad evil terrible person in some sort of way Um, and the compulsions would come would manifest as constant reassuring always apologizing anxiety in social situations researching online um compulsions that normally people wouldn't relate to as ocd and i said to her what is this is this something and she did she said i think you have ocd um sorry i know i'm rambling (laughs) here i'm just
0: um, um, yeah, I think it's important <laughs> that you do because you're on a roll. This is good. Yeah, I'm on a roll. It will be done soon, people. Uh, <laughs> where's the light, Nikita? Um, where's the light? Where's the light? I'm where's the
1: light? Uh, I remember thinking, oh, I now feel relieved. But no, 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 no. no. <laughs> About two to three years after getting the diagnosis, I then researched even more, and I thought, oh, I can't possibly have OCD because I don't have that exact thought and I don't have that exact Mm. compulsion but the funny thing about it is that's the OCD itself it's it's having repetitive themes thoughts images whatever it is that create anxiety and then to relieve that anxiety you do the compulsion that's Mm -hmm. that's the basis of OCD and it doesn't matter what form it takes and I remember several times I went back to her and I said no it can't possibly be (laughs) but yeah we found out basically the crux of what I suffer with is my theme, so to speak, is believing is the thought I am a bad person, and it manifests in so many complicated ways. And
0: yeah, um, yeah, I think that's the most important thing you said is you know it it can be about literally anything.
1: Yes, and the thing
0: that makes me laugh, I think I told you this, is that before I knew I had OCD. A really good example of this is like before I knew I had OCD, I was OCD about having OCD.
1: Oh, totally. <laughs> so
0: I, because I suffer a lot with health um obsessions and anxiety. I was literally like, I watched a documentary, I remember, about a boy who like flicked on and off the light switches and like um had to do certain tapping things. And, and I was just I had this obsession oh, my God, what if I develop OCD? Like, what if I develop OCD? Oh, my God, what am I going to like? And then I was, like, deliberately untidying my room, deliberately, it's honestly hilarious, deliberately not cleaning things up, because I was like, what if I get OCD? Oh, my God, like, what if... All of that was OCD (laughs) in a different way. But I just didn't know. So that's just, like, I think what you say is just so important, and it'll do everything in its power to convince you that, it's not OCD. Yes, do you know what I mean? totally. And that becomes another obsession in itself. Um, mm-hmm. But that's kind of the point: is it's chronic doubt, chronic overthinking, chronic. Oh, yeah. And I'm just wondering, you know, with your depression, how did the OCD and the depression like interweave? Like, how did that happen? Were they? Do you see them as very separate, or do, are they quite linked for you? For me personally
1: they're very linked because the depression was a symptom of my OCD. And that was the problem. We were treating the symptom for so many years. Yeah. We weren't treating the cause of that symptom. Um, you know, and even nowadays, I still get periods where I feel depressed. And it's it's because, you know, if you think about it, if you're having a um, someone, a person, let's say, incessantly saying to you that you are terrible, that you are a bad, morally bad person... Or even it manifests in other ways. For example, my singing, it manifests in my mm. singing. You are not perfect, therefore you are a terrible singer, you know? And when you have that constantly in your mind, it makes it made me depressed, you know, because I I would believe those thoughts and nothing, no matter what the compulsions I would use, would never relieve that.
0: Yeah. Um and it's like you'd wake up every day knowing that you'd have to deal with all these thoughts and beliefs about yourself. And it's like, you never have a break, you never have a time where you feel positive about yourself because the thoughts are so, like, in your face. Yes. Yeah. Totally.
1: What about you? Uh, In what way, sorry? (laughs) No, I'm just interested to know if you've experienced depression alongside your OCD.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So, for me, it's like... The longer it goes on, but <laughs> it normally goes on for ages, like I'd say each episode it's like for me, it always starts with anxiety pretty much. I mean I would say I've had one depression episode in my life, but it normally starts with anxiety and the thoughts, and then it's the hopelessness is my biggest depressive symptom,, yes. and like I do get you know <clears throat> it's hard it's hard it's all this is where it gets complicated because. I suffer with suicidal OCD thoughts, so intrusive thoughts about, like, harming myself. Mm -hmm. But then, at the same time, I have got to the depression point of knowing the difference and knowing that I've had, you know, suicidal thoughts as well. And I think that it's important to talk about suicidal thoughts because when we name them, when we're honest about them, like, they diminish their power. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I have got to the point lots of times with my OCD where I've been like, I can't live with this anymore. I don't want to live with this. This is hell. Like, every day, this is just too much. I I don't see an end to this. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And and that is a horrible place to be in, feeling like, I just want this to end. I want peace. I want, you know, and that is, yeah, that's really awful. But actually omitting that feeling is, is really important and not keeping it to yourself. You know what I mean? Massively. So I've definitely dealt with those moments a lot, especially in the last few years with it. it obviously, it gets easier, but, you know, when you're in that space, it's not so easy to see. Yeah. <laughs> to put <totally>. it mildly. <laughs> no, it,
1: it really is. I mean, that's why I'm also very proud of you that... Because speaking of meds, you know, it's mm-hmm. a very difficult topic of conversation. Oh God, and I yeah. think it's I think it's a really good one to talk about, actually. For um, sure. Because a lot of people understandably are quite resistant to take meds um you know a lot of people have had very bad experiences with it and sometimes people don't find the right one you know and I'm not a mental health professional and I I would never say it's right or wrong to take or not take meds um I think you have to figure out what works well for you um but what I have found is when I found the right med um it helped ease the depression as well as mm. the anxiety and the exactly. OCD, which, which helped me work on the OCD itself. And I think that's probably what's happened for you in the last couple of months that I've known you, and you've started taking them. It seems to be that you, for you, you have found something that works for you, yeah and it's meant that you've been able to challenge yourself um, and challenge your OCD. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I mean it, exactly. It was you, and it was I had another. I have another friend who I don't know if she'll be listening because she's not a music, a musician, but um, <laughs> Abby O'Shea. We were at um, high school together, mm-hmm. and she is an incredible mental health campaigner. She's studying at Cardiff Uni, and um, she knows a lot about medication. And I was talking to her about it and saying, "Look, I really don't know what to do. I feel like I'm at a really dark place, but I'm just so scared because my Last time I tried medication, you know, it made me feel so much worse, and I just can't can't risk that. Um, but she was sort of saying it's definitely worth it. If you try a different one, it's definitely worth the risk. And I mean, I've said to you, and I'll say to everyone, you know, for me at least, it was the best decision I've made for my mental health. And if you're at the stage where you know functioning is difficult. It's definitely not something I'd ever rule out at all. Mm. And I was definitely very proud about it. I definitely felt like, you know, I want to cure this naturally. I want to show everyone the power of yoga and meditation. (laughs) I want to show the power of journaling. It's like, you know, the times I've tried to get out of episodes doing that, okay, it might have worked eventually, but I've gone through so much more suffering than I feel like I needed to just because I didn't give them a chance
1: yeah totally but you know what as well those methods and those techniques that you did use are so incredibly helpful and useful as well but i think i guess what you and i are trying to get to the crux of is the fact that that can only happen when you are in a a functional place that you are able to engage with that
0: yeah totally Um, that's the thing isn't it it's like yeah not to be depressing (laughs) again (laughs) you know I I I did get to the point where I did find it incredibly difficult to leave my house to exercise or even to find the strength to like get through yoga or whatever you know it's, it's it's that isn't it you need to be able to get to a space where those other things can help as well and it's impossible to rely on them I think Yeah. Um, And when OCD is something that feels just like you're in a loop, and you're in this like ongoing cycle of thoughts and compulsions and thoughts, it really can help to break that. I think in some way, or at least make a change and and makes make it feel more like manageable. What I really want to talk about as well is like the stigma (laughs) behind taking longer than everybody else to do your degree because oh, yes. you know I've nearly deferred <laughs> three times probably very <laughs> seriously and I've got friends that either have or thought about it and you know there's this whole thing of like if I defer I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get worse or people won't take me seriously like what's your um, experience with deferring and like how do you feel it having taken you a lot longer to get to the end like how's that felt for you
1: such a good question um very good question Hattie beautiful interviewer here um <laughs> I'm very lucky in the sense I've always been an open person it's nothing it's never something I've struggled with um so that has worked I think in my favor because you know that I've always been very open conservatoire and with a professor about why I need to take more time yeah. Um, but it, it, at the same time, it, it's difficult because obviously the 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 industry that we're in, it's so um, the standard is so high, and you always have to be on the ball. You know, you really do. Now, where I'm at now, and when I mm-hmm. think about it, I don't feel ashamed of it. I don't feel. Um, yes, it's taken me longer, and actually it's really interesting you know th- looking now where i'm at, being um i think things are overall have improved a lot but i'm still catching up you know because i didn't sing for two years and yeah. that is difficult very difficult mm-hmm. you um technically aren't quite there yet where maybe quite a few of your peers are but again that is not um, me berating myself or me um thinking worse of myself i just that I've had a lot that I've needed to with. Um, I think the worry always is what will the perception be? You know, what will people think about it? And to be honest, I don't know what the outside perception is. All I know is that the people that are close to me have always been supportive throughout the whole journey of taking her. I do remember when I auditioned for my third year when i re-auditioned i remember i had to have a very serious conversation with the head of vocals about it and you know um, he said that will you be able to hack it will you be able to Mm. be okay with coming back to a conservatoire environment and i really did have to prove myself in that interview and i had to be strong and i said i know i can i know how difficult the environment is how competitive it is and and what standards i'm up against but i know that I'm, I, I'm not 100% there yet, but I'm on my way there in terms of my mental health. And I oh, think that it was makes the me difficult so proud part. of you.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> I think that's the difficult part. You do have to prove to yourself because they're watching you, they are totally yeah. watching, you and everyone who knows you is watching to see if you are going to not fail because that sounds negative, but but if you are going to leave. I mean, I think I spoke to someone the other day and We spoke about the fact I've actually now completed my degree and she said, um, you know, I'm going to be honest, I really thought quite a few times you were going to leave Um, and so did I, you know, Um, so did I. Um, I know that's a very general answer, but that's kind of the nuances of how I feel about it.
0: I think that's an amazing answer and it's just like listening to the way in which you describe like your fight to get back and your fight... It just shows me that like there maybe some of the preconceptions people have about people, mental health issues being either like lazy or I don't know, it's just so clear that you didn't want it to be part of you, like it's not part of you. The real Nikita <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, so no you know what you deserve, that like you know what you're capable of. Do you know what I mean? And it's like your thoughts and your OCD will tell you time and again you're not good enough all of that but like when it came to it for you to prove yourself like you knew that you could you know what I mean like that makes you yeah feel
1: <laughs> thank you you're so lovely um <laughs> this is why we're friends people um <laughs> it's um this is the thing there I mean every day there are thoughts when i'm like I'm, I'm not good enough to do this i can't do this i think i had a conversation with someone yesterday I, was like, I can't do this why am i doing this um but i think it's that need and that want to be happy and that want mm. to i don't want to be on my deathbed when i know this sounds morbid but i really don't want to be on my deathbed um thinking what if what if i went for it and what if I really just pull my socks up and tried you know and I, that's what I would say to everyone is to just never ever give up on what what you want to do um I think I just knew after I overdosed I knew that guilt was such an incredible opportunity yeah and I knew I knew it wasn't going to be easy I knew that as soon as I got in it, it wasn't going to be you know <laughs> rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> um, but, um, I knew that there was a reason I got in there in the first place and there was a reason that I wanted to keep going and I, I really wanted to see it through, see what can happen. I loved what you said, sorry, I am digressing, but I loved what you said earlier about the feeling like you're lazy or you're yeah. not, because that happens so much with mental health. I mean, there are weeks when I'm singing every single day and the next weeks when I'm not and you know, I think it was a month before my final, I had a month of not singing and not learning my rep and not doing it. And it wasn't because I wasn't motivated or didn't want to do this well, but it was everything else, the OCD and the thoughts of you're not good enough, you can't do it, you know, you're a bad person, everything. Um, And I think that is so important that we realize and i think if there's not enough awareness of it in the music industry yeah. that if you're not on top form it is not always because you're not pulling a finger out it is because you are dealing with things you yeah.
0: know. and it could be anything
1: like uh, but you're anything. so
0: right like to admit that is always just slightly frowned down upon like
1: I mean, I know it sounds so silly. Probably a compulsion of mine, to be fair. I have researched. Where I can find singers. You know, when they, when they, are not a hundred percent technically there. You know, to gain inspiration, that it's a process. It's it takes time to become mm. uh, an established classical musician, and I can't anywhere. And I think that's so sad because that's not what this is about yes, we are trying to achieve excellence down the line, but that's not the that's not the reality of the journey. And, you know, I know people who have been in undergrad and, and they had a difficult time in undergrad and now they're doing opera course or they're doing gold medal or whatever it is. You know, they've gone from one place to the other, but that's taken work, dedication, and it's been a process for them, and a long, long process. Hmm. And I think that's that's the biggest issue and I think for someone with OCD or actually to be honest any musician whether it be mental health or no mental health it's very very difficult when you're the everyday being said to achieve this excellence and the only examples you get of excellence are when they're at the peak and you don't you don't see the in-between mm-hmm. and that's what I really and with you and I think you want to do this as well i really want to open conversation about what that process is like and be open about it that we're not there yet
0: i'm just trying to think what else i'm gonna say
1: <laughs> no don't worry you're doing an amazing job thanks <laughs> i mean hattie i i want to well let me ask you a question um, yeah go for it because obviously music departments work differently yeah right I'd be really interested, though, because you play the cello. Mm. Interested to know what it's like for you yeah. and for your musical journey. You know okay. what it's been like for you having your own issues and how that has impacted yeah. you and your
0: musicality. Okay, well here we go. <laughs>
1: here we go. <laughs>
0: so it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like I don't know about you, but my mental health journey is like, in some ways, the symptoms have got worse. But Mm -hmm. uh, my acceptance has got so much better that I feel like... uh, I don't know how to explain. Basically, my first year was horrible. But I still suffer with the same stuff I did. But because now I understand it and I have less shame, then it feels a lot easier. So in my first year, um, I... Yeah, it was really weird. I just... (laughs) I went to college first week I just had the worst insomnia I didn't sleep for 7 days of Freshers' week and I had auditions wow. and everything in that week and I didn't sleep 1 hour I was just I don't know what it was and I hadn't for 10 years I hadn't had any mental health issues you know and it was kind of OCD then because I was just obsessing over the fact that I couldn't sleep which made it worse <laughs> and everything yeah and I think throughout that I didn't tell anyone Really, and I ended up moving accommodations because I thought my accommodation was causing me to get anxious. Because the RCM halls kind of feel like a prison, <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, "Must be the halls." So I moved to like a Christian Catholic halls, and I was like, "It'll definitely get better here." It didn't; it got totally worse. Um, and throughout my first year, I didn't tell anybody. I had a massive breakdown um, twice in that year. For, First, just before Christmas, Um, I didn't tell anyone. Not even my absolute closest friend didn't tell Um. them. And then in the summer, I had a huge, like the biggest breakdown I've ever had probably, after I was working at the proms. And I didn't tell anyone from college. Apart from my cello teacher, I did tell her um, just before I came back, because I had to be forced to go back. (laughs) I didn't want to go back, but my mum was like, well... Olivia, my other sister, was joining. And she's like, she really needs you there. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) okay." (laughs) So I went back. And luckily, I did have therapy, um, which kind of helped me. And that was through college. And Mm -hmm. my teacher put me in touch with um, the therapist. And that helped. But still, I told her, I think I might have OCD. Like, I've looked it up. Like, I've suffered with it as a kid. And I remember her telling me, no, like, do you realise what... She was like, do you realise what you're saying? Like, do you understand how serious OCD is? Like, you can't just go around saying that you have OCD. I was like, I really think I do. And I explained my (laughs) symptoms. She was like, no. I was like, okay, I don't. Um, So, yeah, after that, I didn't... Still didn't tell college anything. Um, I'm trying to remember what happened next. Third year. Yeah, so then I basically went private. I i got to the end of my third year did my exam felt fine and then in my fourth year this has been it i had a great time until coronavirus who can relate <laughs>
1: <laughs> the world <laughs> so third and
0: fourth year basically i was a lot more stable until coronavirus um and started suffering really badly with health anxiety and which turned into like all of my obsessions getting a lot worse And at the end of that I did get in touch with college And to be fair to them They were really helpful And gave me lots of options About deferring and stuff But So what I'm trying to say answer, Very long answer to your question is <laughs> I think there is support there But I was so ashamed Of my mental health Until the last two years I was so ashamed and literally told nobody that, oh. like, I, I just didn't have the support I could have had. And if there's one thing I'd want to tell people, it's, like, your uni is there to support you. And I think, I, you know, if I could go back, I definitely would have taken an extra year after my first year. Yeah. Because that was just hell, going back and, like, oh, I just didn't know what to do. I just didn't, like, you know what I mean? And a lot mm. of the time I thought pushing through, was what I needed to do to prove to myself and there's that whole balance isn't there, like you want to prove to yourself that your OCD doesn't define you and everything, but you know, you need to be aware that you're not pushing too hard as well, you need to be aware that you're taking time when you need it and I think, you know I'm I'm so glad that you did take the time and you had also your parents there to like say you need time you need more time, you need like support here yeah. You know what I mean? And I think I just didn't give myself that at yeah. all in in uni. Yeah. How do you how do you
1: feel now? You know, because um, you now have your degree. <laughs> we both now have our degree. Yes. Um yeah, so how do you feel now? Um, when you think yeah. about it? I feel
0: like I feel quite sad actually. Like I'm I am happy that I've finished it. Um but I'm sad. Like, I often kind of <laughs> feel emotional about the person I was in first year and how ashamed I was of myself. I genuinely mm. thought that this, that I was completely, I, I'd completely failed. In terms of my mental health, I thought I'd completely failed by feeling this way. And that, like, it was a lack of control. No one else feels like this. Everyone else is having the best year. And I'm Mm -hmm. literally, like, wasting my life on (laughs) worrying about, like... (laughs) One of my biggest obsessions in first year was worrying that I was gay. Um, Hello, I'm just editing this, and I want to say that when I say I worried that I was gay, it's a really difficult obsession to explain, but it basically means that you aren't so much... Um, anxious that you are gay or think that that is a bad thing at all you are so unsure about your identity and the way you identify sexually and it's like chronic doubt about your sexual identity basically Um, so it's nothing to do with homophobia I want to make that really clear, it's nothing to do with that, it wasn't like that would be the worst thing if I was gay, it wasn't that, it was I just don't know. Like, I just, w- I was so desperate to find out something that I couldn't know, and the compulsions for that are obsessive research and sort of testing your reaction to things. And yeah, you could imagine kind of, um, but it was, re- it was a really difficult obsession. But I just want to make it clear that's what it means um, because I don't think I made it very clear in the episode. Worrying that, like, um, <laughs> sounds so weird, but worrying that, like, I was going to go blind and worrying that my vision was fuzzy and stuff like that. Like, stuff that just doesn't sound that horrible, but yeah, it, it was incessant. And, like, mm-hmm. I thought it made me a terrible person. So, anyway, looking back now, I'm sort of, like, you know, just really upset that I thought that was all my fault. Yeah. Like, and, yeah, I have got my degree, but in a way i lost a lot of joy and a lot of help i could have had at the start but you know it's all a journey isn't it like i think i need to forgive myself for that but yeah. totally
1: um i mean what you said about the um the feeling guilty and ashamed i think that regardless of what you suffer with um you know i think that is such a relatable and i think a lot of people feel that way i mean i remember i remember feeling guilty because i was constantly unwell and i thought it was my Mm, fault yeah it was totally my fault like why can't i just get a grip you know why can't i just sort this out (laughs) um you know and i actually remember um you know the people around me understandably it was very frustrating for them you know because here i am being given these tools you know these therapeutic tools and this is before I was diagnosed with OCD and I was giving all all these tools to help my depression, anxiety. And, you know, there was frustration built around that. Like, why wasn't I implementing the tools? Why, after yeah. all these years of therapy, you know, why wasn't I getting better? But it's so much more complex than that. Um,
0: it is. And especially with OCD, like, you can get the wrong therapy so easily. Yes, totally. Because it's really misunderstood. Like, yeah. you know, I've got to come to terms with the fact that I spent, 800 pounds of a grant on talking therapy that ultimately wasn't gonna, it's gonna help on one level, but wasn't gonna help my OCD. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then looked into the right therapy, which has been the most life changing thing for me, because I now have gone through um, CBT with exposure response, which is basically where you expose yourself to your um, obsessive fears. Yeah. and talking therapy if anyone doesn't know is is more about the way you feel about things and for OCD talking therapy can you know it can cause you to try and figure out why your th- what your thoughts mean or what they might mean about you and with OCD that isn't helpful because you're never going to get to the answer they're still no. going to be intrusive you know what I mean well you obviously mm-hmm. don't know what I mean um, so it's more about the thoughts are less important in exposure, and, and it's more about, um, yeah, being mind, using mindfulness and sitting with them and accepting that they're going to be there, but they don't need to take over.
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah. Anyway, I, yeah, I have to come to terms with like all of that as well. Like, oh God, I I went through a lot of the wrong therapy. I went to a lot of the wrong people. I got told some terrible advice and prescribed the wrong thing hundreds of times and it is so frustrating for people around you isn't it like
1: oh totally
0: oh like i huh yeah and that's the
1: worst part about it is you then (laughs) you then it's a vicious circle because they feel frustrated because they love you and that they want you to be well but then you feel frustrated and guilty because you think oh gosh I'm being a bad person because when <laughs> not, I'm making them feel that way. You know, so it's this vicious, vicious cycle. Uh, yeah,
0: and I'm like, I think for me as well, because I'm one of four children, it's been like I've needed a lot of support from my parents. But then I think sometimes my siblings don't get, like, that level of, like, support. Not because they don't need it, but sometimes because I've always been the one to ask. Or I've yeah. always been—I've always been the one that's really been desperate for it. And mm-hmm. I think that's quite hard in a family setup. Where there's always one person that seems to be in trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I always mm. worry about them and, like, God, like, do they feel like they can't talk because I'm always the one? You know. So there's lots of layers of it. <laughs> it is
1: very complex. <laughs>
0: Um, But in terms of OCD, like I've kind we've kind of talked about it, but if there was like one thing you want people to know about it, I don't know whether I've kind of assumed people know more than they do through this conversation, Mm. but, um, is there anything you feel that you'd like people to know about it? Yeah.
1: Um, it's very complex and, um, it's not black and white, which is how OCD people like to think of things as <laughs> black and white. Um, I think the biggest thing, which is something I'm still working through, is the fact it can manifest in any way. Yeah. And it can be, and it doesn't have to be loads of different thoughts that happen incessantly. It can literally be one thing that has occurred yeah. for you uh, time and time again. I think you and I have talked about this because yeah. for you, you, your, the way yours manifests is you have lots of different types of thoughts and you go through different phases where one takes more over more than the other yeah whereas for me it's very very different mine has been one theme for years um which is the belief that I'm bad mm. um but I think what I also want people to know is that it can also it's not just the thoughts that it manifests itself in it's it's it can happen in other aspects of your life so you know for example the way I look I become very obsessive yeah. about that sometimes and I remember when I was 17 I I obsessively lost weight now I was very lucky I didn't end up with an eating disorder but it was very close to that um, and I know that there's a lot of uh, um, comorbidities oh, <laughs> that <laughs> that's the one um, where it's very very related having an obsessive yes. disorder and yes. an eating disorder um you know and, and it manifests in um you know my work as a singer you know um, this is the a
0: other lot. thing yeah sorry is um a lot of people that I speak to, and actually my my CBT therapist at the moment, he's often saying, you know, your obsession can be a really good thing because your obsession has led you to music. And if you weren't Mm -hmm. an obsessive person, you wouldn't have had the dedication to be a musician. And I think this is why I think it's important to talk about OCD because a lot of musicians suffer with it because Mm -hmm. we have this, you know, obsessive... Positively obsessive nature with music and with working hard and wanting to do well and wanting to become the best musician we can, you know, in that there can be a dark side for some people. And that's that's why it's important we talk about it, you know, because it's, I mean, to think about me as a kid, you know, I was very obsessive. I went through negative obsessions and positive, positive obsessions, and I now see that. So I had a huge obsession. (laughs) Do you remember Heelys? Heelys. Oh, oh, yes, (laughs) Heelys. Most people are like, mum, I want some Heelys. And then mum's like, "Okay, next birthday, they get the Heelys. I am not kidding you. I, like, was obsessed with them. Like, I looked at all the YouTube videos, watched them every day. I (laughs) literally went to the shop. I used to go to Sports Direct, asked to try them on. Like it was so weird until I got them, and then on my birthday, I got them. I literally like ripped the packaging of the I found them under my mum's bed, basically ripped the packaging to look at them, and like was so bloody, obsessed with them, and then wore them all the time for like six months. It was honestly nuts. like that kind of thing. And then I had like a huge obsession with horse riding, huge obsession with gymnastics, like my siblings will remember like it was intense. Like, everything I did had to be about this thing. So, like, I would wear my jodpas all the time. I would, like, wear my leotard all the time. Everywhere we went, I'd have to do fucking backflips and shit. Like, it was so intense. I couldn't do anything by halves. (laughs) It's really funny to talk about. But it's, like, on the other side of that, I was also, you know, worrying about my house burning down, you know, getting obsessed with, like... (laughs) losing control and taking drugs and fear of becoming like getting cancer from inhaling cigarette smoke and like being wrongly convicted and going to prison and all the normal things (laughs) and it is funny because you'll say as you say it just for some people it's like that for some people it's like you it's one theme that will probably Mm -hmm. never really go away but do you, have you come to terms with the fact that it might never go away and that you'll always have this kind of like yeah of i like, have i have and i think that's
1: half of the battle is accepting yeah. that you have whatever yeah. that may be ocd depression it's i have accepted it it's it's there are days when it's more difficult to accept than others because oh, it can yeah. be very 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 painful um but I think there's no other way. I think mm. there's no other option but to accept, because it. I can't change the way my brain is wired. There is nothing I can... I Yes, I can have therapy, and yes, I can do all the right things, but my brain has been wired in a certain way, and that's, that's the fact of it. Um, but it doesn't mean that I won't live a happy and fulfilled mm. life. And I think that's really important for people to know is that... yes there are going to be difficult times and there still are and I'm still in the midst of recovering um, but I am not who I was two years ago I'm not Um, and I have so much more to live for um, I have many many more happy moments and I know that that will continue to grow Mm. and I know that I will eventually live a very happy and fulfilled life it would just be one of those things where I'll have to just keep working on managing it and just be so aware that it's there and to mm. to protect myself from massive triggers and to protect myself in cert- certain situations. Um,
0: yeah, I love that. I think that's absolutely the most important thing because, like, I remember, I think, I don't know about you, but I think it's, like, the first time you start struggling properly is almost the absolute hardest, only because you don't have the experience of being able to look back and to see I felt that low and I got up and I felt joy again. You know what I mean? Totally. Whereas the first time I remember just being so scared because I didn't know that. And I I didn't have that perspective. And that perspective is so important now. Cause mm. it's it's just the cycles of life, isn't it? Like it's natural for things to go up and down in the seasons and all of that oh totally but we have it quite hard (laughs) in that respect (laughs) but it likes to get very bad (laughs) (laughs) it likes to yes yes,
1: it's tasty stuff Um, (laughs) um, for anyone whether they have mental health problems or not i think it's human that we go through ups and downs and bad days Mm. and good days but I think the biggest thing to, to remember is that you always end up recovering from that, mm-hmm. Ma- the majority of the time. It's very, very sad when people don't, and that's a whole nother ball game. Um But I think what keeps me going is that I have now accumulated, I guess, in my mind, evidence of the amount of times I have fallen backwards, but then... Yeah. I've managed to get back on the horse and I've managed to carry on. And it's still like that. I mean, we're talking today and I had, <laughs> I had a big old cry this morning. Um,
0: <laughs> no, that's you know, yeah, and, um, important to say.
1: And it's the truth. You know, I I, mm. I had a difficult um, morning this morning and I've had a difficult couple of days in my mental health. But I know tomorrow I'll go into uni and I'm going to carry on with my life. And I'm sure because I know the tools I need to do now. So I will implement those tools and I know that I'll probably have a good few days. And I know at some point there will be another moment when it will go a bit down.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but then I know in the back of my mind, well, that's happened so many
0: times before. So I've just got to keep going. Yeah, um, so true. Like, um, I had literally the same, well, not the same thing, but like even me, like three hours ago, I was on a walk. And, like, mm. I started to get, like, some really kind of in bad intrusive thoughts again. And, like, my brain just wanted to be, like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the, this is the start of the end. You know what I mean? Like, but that's just Personally. kind of what we deal with in every day. Every day, like, you have moments of the day that are really hard and then kind of gets easier. It's It's, like, weird. I don't know like when I'm really a lot better that's just always how my days go and I've learnt to accept that now that there are going to be darker times in the day and it's not yeah. always going to go as I planned and I'm going to get triggered a lot because I'm mm-hmm. someone that gets triggered very easily <laughs> by sometimes things that I don't expect um,
1: I don't know if th- you've heard yes. of this sorry to interrupt you because no, so yeah. um, of what you were just saying you know there's always gonna be things that are gonna attribute I don't know if you've ever heard of this book called Feel the Fear but do it anyway. Um, oh yeah. Feel the fear and do it anyway. I can't remember Let me
0: write that down underneath my doodles.
1: The author <laughs> hold on let me see who the author was. Feel the fear because it's a brilliant book the fear and do it anyway sorry i didn't prepare this at all yeah not
0: Um, good enough susan
1: i know terrible i'm a bad bad person Uh, (laughs) (laughs) her her name's susan jeffers and it's feel the fear and do it anyway and this is for anyone to read anyone at all i think it's a great book because what she basically says in the book is the the more you expand your life and move through life, there's going to be new fears and new discomfort mm. and new zone, new boundaries that you're going to have to cross. Um, you know, it's much more comfortable staying in that middle box where you're not moving forward. And I think this is something for everyone that the more you progress towards where you want to go, the more discomfort and the more things are going to trigger you. Yeah. Um, and that will continue throughout your whole life. <laughs> the more you keep growing and the more you keep trying to be better and yeah. happier. Um, yeah, and I take totally risks recommend that book. Well. Risks. risks
0: you take, like, the harder it's going to be and the more your brain is going to want to get very scared and tell you you can't do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think I love that you brought this up because... I've always kind of thought, and my mum's always saying this as well, it's like I'm always going on about how my disorder makes me so scared of everything and I'm so like different from everyone else. And she's like, you know, like, a, basically everyone like, has that on some level. Like, you're not that so weird. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes I do forget that it, fear is a human emotion. Like, mm-hmm. people deal with fear a lot. and pe- Everyone has their deep, dark fears or things they don't want to think about or go there with and yes I have it on a disordered level but like we can all relate to that and it sounds like this book is a a good place to start overcoming that
1: it really is it's it's um I mean it's so apt for people with OCD as well because OCD is literally fear (laughs) written on it but um I honestly recommend it for anyone it's not an OCD specific book it is actually just a general life book and it's um it, it, yeah it, it taught me just a lot about how yeah basically what I said earlier was just that the, the more you challenge yourself and the more you take risks yes it's going to be scary you're going to feel that fear but actually the fear dissipates and you realize oh yeah I've done that now the next thing mm-hmm. and then you'll have fear for that but then you do it it's kind of the same with exposure response therapy that you've been doing you know and um, yeah it's, that that's one of
0: those things as well. ERP, which is cool. <laughs> it's called, yeah. is it's like you the first few exposures you do feel like the end of the world, and then it's kind of like a snowball where you mm-hmm. just get on the roll and it becomes part of your everyday, and you're looking forward to challenging yourself, and it becomes more kind of like a game, and it's like oh right. how much how far can I go? Like that's how I found it anyway, and you just you just kind of get more and more proud of yourself as you break down all these different fears and it's like oh my goodness oh my goodness like we we think our thoughts are so powerful but Mm -hmm. ERP is so good at showing you that like nope (laughs) you're really not you're not gonna become Michael Jackson if you think about Michael Jackson all the time like I used to (laughs) Oh yes, I remember you telling me that the other day, I was like, oh, you It's probably one of my weirdest <laughs> obsessions I ever had was, I was um, eight, this probably a great place to end though, <laughs> uh, when I was eight <laughs> or nine, I think I was nine, Michael Jackson died, RIP, honestly, but I'd never seen a picture of him before he died, I don't know why I just hadn't ever heard of him. And mm-hmm. suddenly it felt like his face was on every newspaper and everywhere and on telly and stuff and... I just thought he was so scary. And he is quite scary. Like, oh, wasn't yeah. <laughs> I wasn't wrong. I had this intrusive image of him like in my head all the time, and I couldn't get rid of it. Like yeah. Every moment of the day, I'd just be thinking of it and trying to get rid of it, trying to get rid of this. And I had different compulsions. So I'd try and get rid of Michael Jackson's face.
1: <laughs> I think that's the thing. That's, that's the so thing. What, what people don't get is that... I, You know, I think I was reading up something online about OCD, as you do with an OCD person. Uh, <laughs> don't research kids, don't do it. No, no, no. <laughs> don't get on Google. Oh, gosh. Um, but um, there was something, you know, they were talking about all the different sort of images and thoughts. Something you and I talked about earlier in this podcast is that... Um, it really does matter the theme or the thought and I think sometimes even I have had this preconceived idea that it needs to be something graphic it needs Mm. to be something terrifying it needs to be something violent you know because that's actually written down a lot on the internet that the theme you know with Puro for example the theme has to be something really graphic but it really isn't I mean I I think I read somewhere that people sometimes have a fear of a colour or a fear of a number
0: yeah, Um, and it can be yeah. If it's if it's causing you distress and it's repetitive, then it's you know it's an OCD thought. You know, yeah, like that's the reality of it, and it doesn't really matter what it is. Like, yeah, you're so right. But I just kind of thought maybe we could end with you maybe giving like your one biggest piece of advice for someone who either has just been diagnosed or thinks they might have OCD or is struggling with their mental health in some way. Like, what's your number one piece of advice?
1: Oh, weighted question.
0: (laughs) Um, I'd say
1: reach out, be open yourself, be as honest with yourself and the people who love you that you can trust as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, um, There is so much help out there, but you need to find the right help and the appropriate help um Do join. Oh yes, about the OCD group that we met on. Do join an OCD group even during this period of time. They're doing them online. We joined OCD UK, didn't we? That group.
0: Yeah. Um The London know, you, one. I think it. Was, the London
1: yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> do do join a group like that because being able to talk. I mean, having this friendship with you, Hattie, has been incredible yeah. for me. um And you do. You can connect with people who do understand it and you can talk openly about it and wait for so alone but I think I think the biggest advice I'd say is that it's it is not um, a steady upward trajectory it is always always up and down it's not going to be like a graph where it's the perfect line diagonally up it's not and even if you have at the start of your recovery even if you have one good day and then four bad days that doesn't mean you're not getting better it's just you know you will find over time you'll have one bad day four bad days and then you'll have two good days and then four bad days and then
0: it's so true you know yeah. um
1: and to not catastrophize the the king of OCD is catastrophizing um <laughs> to just not catastrophize and panic if it is not smooth sailing because it isn't i mean i am now too uh well i uh, Since I was 18, I've been so, I guess, recovering from my mental health stuff. Um, So that's been, what, seven years? And I got diagnosed with OCD about a year and a half ago. And I'm still working on it. Um, Mm. It's a long, long road. But what I really, really can guarantee... And I, I don't like to make guarantees because you know, nothing is guaranteed in life. But from my personal experience and where I have been, I can guarantee you if you get the right help and you're open to it and you really work at it, you can still you know, suffer with your mental health struggles but still live a fulfilled and happy life. Mm. I really believe that. Um, I really
0: believe that as well. Because we're... Yeah. You know, I think we're given this life to live in a beautiful way and like however much you have to overcome like you will overcome it you know Mm -hmm. and there's it's never it's never all black is it either it's you know it might be harder but it's always going to have waves and it's always going to have like yeah you're so right that's the problem with it is that with OCD is that it it makes everything feel black and white it's like I'm on this side and everyone else is fine all the time and I'm terrible you know but yeah. it's it's so much more nuanced isn't it it's like it's kind of some good days as you say like some bad days whatever but it, it is just a journey and yeah I love what you say about the trajectory thing because I've always just expected it to get better and when it hasn't I've thought i failed and you're so right oh. Honestly, I mean, I'm
1: that. talking, I'm saying this from my own experience of <laughs> if I've had one bad day, I'm like, oh, that's it,
0: I'm, I'm ill again, it's all wrong, you know. Honestly, um, same. You've been an inspiration oh, and a heart oh, <laughs> for the last few months as well. Like, you. you know, it's amazing to connect with you, you know, as a musician and as a you know a fellow sufferer of (laughs) of this I feel like I'm always coming across people who say they've suffered with this on some level or or know someone that has and especially as musicians it's important that we talk about it yeah um so do you connect if you are struggling with OCD and do find the right help um because there is a lot of Miscon- there are a lot of misconceptions about it and with the right research I think yeah it's there's definitely better help out there I'm trying to think if I can recommend a resource that might be a good place to start go, go on do Hattie. you know any oh, let, me, let me have a think um. <laughs> thought of the thought of the website yes mind for sure and made of millions it's a relatively Ooh. new you write this down Akita.
1: I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. Made, it's called
0: Made of Millions, right? Um, and it's was set up by a girl Rose, who also has a Netflix drama called Pure, which is about oh, her yes. obsessive uh, sexual thoughts. So watch Pure, which is brilliant, and also Made of Millions if you want more information about OCD intrusive thoughts. Actually, all mental health they cover on there, but I would definitely recommend that. So there we go. Finally got that. <laughs> well you got there but mine as well is is also right it's brilliant they've done some incredible things they have um, definitely So yeah there we go any final thoughts nikita uh,
1: i guess <laughs> you know what it's a really difficult time for the whole world at the moment yeah as we know covid yay um so just just keep the people you love close to you be mm-hmm. open reach out um
0: Yeah. What about you, Hattie? Any final thoughts? Goodness, I didn't expect this. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say you're valid. Like, your struggles aren't your fault. I really wish I could tell myself that in the past. So, you know, anything you're going through, it's not your fault. You can find the right help. You're not weird. We're here for you. (laughs) People are there who have gone through the same thing. And thousands of people, hang on billions of people go through the same thing so you're not alone you know mm-hmm. that's what i'd finish on <laughs>
1: that was beautiful thank yeah.
0: you thank you <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it's been it's been so wonderful talking to you today thank so, you so, so much well, for having me well,
0: thank you for coming on and being so open and honest and just a general inspiration so we look forward to hearing more thank you honestly it's been a pleasure. Um,